Welcome back to the Gone But Not Forgotten podcast. This is the second part of our Natalie Wood episode. We'll be talking about the later part of her career, her death, and doing our fan casting as well as mentioning some of our favorite costumes. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. So then we have Inside Daisy Clover. 65 still. Strangely enough, it's not a biopic, but it's very close to what Natalie went through in her career. So she plays Daisy Clover. She's, she's kind of a little bit rough on the edges. She sells fake autographs of celebrities to people. So idolizing that celebrity life already. But then we find out that she's a really good singer. And I don't quite know, how does she get introduced to Christopher Plummer's character? I think she wrote a letter or something. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's not made clear though no <laughs> it's just gonna but, happen <laughs> exactly but actually before we mention crystal Plummer, actually ruth gordon plays her mom who's you know she's not the most caring compassionate woman in the world just wants daisy to now become a singer for the money side of it so they go to hollywood and crystal Plummer is playing raymond i never done Ron. his first name but isn't it raymond wait Ron. swan that's it yeah if you said blonde at first i was thinking oh. It's an S name, I swear. Right. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. She's kind of like a very aloof at the moment, very aloof manager for her. Clearly, something sinister is going on in the edges behind him that we'll later see. But yeah, he makes up Daisy to be the star. They do a whole little like opening night show for her where she like to min- mingle with the industry experts. And she meets Robert Redford there in his first ever film role. Yeah. As Wade Lewis or Lewis Wade. <laughs> <laughs> Which one is his like stage I think, name? I think is Wade, Wade Lewis is okay. a stage name. Yeah. Yeah. Because they thought it was like sexier, but I think it's better the other way. I like Lewis more. Uh-huh. But it's really sad of him because like they kind of start a relationship together. And she's a minor. Married. Yes, she's young. Yes, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. a minor. It's and- a bit of a Robert Wagner type situation, I think. He reminds me of. Yes, and Wagner. It's, yeah, not very good to see. Yeah. On screen, he kind of doesn't treat her very well. After the marriage, he kind of goes off. We don't see him again. And then she moves on to become more with Raymond, which is very Still a minor. Still a minor, exactly. <laughs> and also, they've got, he's her boss. That's wrong as well. And I mean, he's um, married. Yes. But his wife, I think, is aware of it. And I think she just yeah, feels she does. sorry for Daisy. Yes, she doesn't care about him being, like, with others of all names. But, yeah. And then that's it, really. It's just about Daisy's rise from being this, like, surly teen to, like, one of the best actresses of her generation. Fascinating character study. Yeah. And, yeah, it is sadly very similar to her real life. She, she did only did The Great Race. To do this film and you can tell this was a real passion project for her and you can tell that with the acting like she's very good in it yeah do you want to give your thoughts on it sure unless you had i mean yeah you had any yeah, other I had some fairly positive thoughts i just think okay. probably one of her best acting oh in yeah. films for sure but once again also not using her voice yeah it's pretty obvious as well i'm so tired of this yeah let her sing because <laughs> uh, we didn't mention this either but in this one scene in the great race the only scene when she sings it's not even her yes and there is a video on youtube of that her actually singing and it's so beautiful and yeah 
I don't know. There's there's no reason for that. But I think it, it just hurts at this point. Like I can't even imagine how she felt because it's disheartening, isn't it? Yeah. This one, I think I gave it three stars. So I'm like, I mostly liked it, but it's a weird one at the same time. No, but like five stars for Natalie, of course. She really put everything into this. And I love that she's not afraid to like be a bit weird. I don't know. Yeah, like at the beginning, especially. She's not the most put together or smart person or something. And it's just like fun to see Natalie do something like way outside of what I've ever seen her do. Because normally she's quite reserved and quite, she's not outlandish. Yeah. Like Daisy is. And you really do get to see her transform throughout the years. And I think she does a really good job. She was 27 when the film came out. Daisy is first like 15, I think. Yeah, because you got like and really short tomboyish hair. Yeah, the wig is pretty bad. But <laughs> <It's so> bad. <laughs> like it didn't bother me, though, the age stuff. Like I think yeah. it bothered a lot of other people, but I don't know. I didn't really care. Plus, she was the perfect person to play the role. And also, I just think she captured that childlike quality so well that I was like, okay, sure, she's 15. (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff with her and Ruth Gordon is great. I wish they'd had more scenes together because her mom is sent to a mental institution or something at some point. So they don't really interact anymore. I haven't seen Christopher Plummer in that much, but it was still really weird to see him be like, the very villainous yeah it hurt it really yeah. hurt I love him but I he did him. a great job still yeah he was <laughs> he's a brilliant actor yeah. <laughs> um, I, mean, I want to punch him yeah <laughs> it was so bad and then Robert Redford it's like okay I yeah. don't know yeah it's a bit of a nothing role like yeah yeah I quite like him so I'm upset that he was a bit of a mean person in it, but that's the game, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he always plays roles like that. I don't think he's a bad actor. He's just not my favorite. I don't think he has the range. No. Bless him. Yeah. <laughs> and then also, yeah, it's like he's like a grown man marrying a 16-year-old. So it's, yeah, no, I'm not going to be on your side. No, we don't stand. <laughs> no. Also, I think it does a good job of showing the pressures that Daisy faced being a young actor in Hollywood and like trying to appear older than she really was and just doing the same thing over and over again. I wish it had been a better movie around Natalie's performance because she's really good. And the scene when she's dubbing over for the circus is a wacky world and just like starts losing it and um she's like screaming and crying but you can't hear her because the camera and the microphone are outside of the booth so you just see her like soundlessly losing it is yeah it just makes me want to cry thinking about it but I just think that's one of her best scenes ever and like it's just I wanted the movie to be more like that scene yes yeah yeah it was I think it tried to put too much into one film where if it was more of a melancholic like drama with like how that scene was it would have worked out so much better yeah all the musical numbers like it just was too much yeah I think they tried to make it 
too lighthearted, which just yes. did not work at all. Not it. That's not yeah. how it should be. And then another scene that I liked was when she's like first being introduced. They had the videos of the actual stars like going to a premiere, probably for an actual movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wish but, we got some cameos. Yes. But one of them was Tyrone Power, so I was happy about connected. It is. I think they also have Clark Gable, you, mm-hmm. and Humphrey Bogart. For some reason, I've got Mickey Rooney in my head. <laughs> Just see it. Just see it. <laughs> I love films like that, though, when they do it. Look, it's actually real. Like, look, they're in Hollywood. She's actually a star. Like, it's very, like, a lot of attention to detail, which I really like. Yeah. It really presents like the dangers of Hollywood for young girls and I think for the most part it does a really good job of showing just how terrifying it can be and the stuff between Daisy and Raymond's characters is horrifying but I just think like the way the two actors play off each other is really good and um, because it's not like overtly like horrifying it's all it's very subdued and like you've got to listen to what they're saying like what he's saying you know what I mean he's not like a cartoon villain and that's such a good way because yeah he is just a manager everyday man but he's sinister and evil yeah it's not a total disappointment yeah just I could see so many good things about it but then it I think when it tries to do comedy, it fails. Yes. Yeah, it didn't know what lane to stick in. Yeah. So it's a little tone deaf. But... Yeah. I recommend it, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. At least for the performances, I think. Yeah, for Natalie's especially. Yeah. Definitely. So in relation to Daisy Clover and Natalie being like a child and teen actor, I wanted to ask you about what you think about her definitely being like a victim of the industry and then also being over-sexualized in her films and then also in real life. I feel like this is a very common thread in Hollywood, like with Jodie Foster or Brooke Shields or Drew Barrymore. And why do you think this happens so often? It's Hollywood, like they love to just sexualize women and when they can't sexualize them, it just throw them to the curb. Like, it's it's disgusting that it's more of a given now. God, it's better now, I think, modern day-wise. But in those days, it must have been awful. They have no respect at all. Like, she, Natalie is a child star. She's been in the game a long time. You'd think that would then make her, like, respectable to these Hollywood... And it doesn't, because they don't think they see women like that at all. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just objects to them. And I think they probably were elated when she became of age what do you think i feel like it's like that whole lolita complex thing yeah yeah yeah. it's important to talk about it's just it makes me feel very icky there was this magazine that wrote about driftwood which was when she was like eight or nine and she had a scene in a bathtub because like she was a dirty orphan child and she had to get cleaned up this magazine said and they may have been joking but it's still very weird they said it was like the raciest bathtub scene since gene harlow and red dust you don't joke about and i'm like even if you meant it as a joke like this is a nine-year-old child and disgusting 
Yeah, and like the scene is not sexual in any manner. She's just having a bath. Yeah. There were a lot of comments like that made about her from a very young age. Say anything. And like she did she wouldn't have had the power or felt comfortable enough to speak up, I think. She was nine and they yeah. wrote stuff like that about her. That's just yeah. disgusting. Since her mom conditioned her to find validation from receiving attention from older men, like maybe she thought that stuff was good in a way. Yeah. So I guess the Daisy Clover, they cover some of that as best yes. they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with her getting married as a minor. And they always also mention it. It's always like they don't mention it. Like, they're fully aware that she's a minor in it. Like, Christopher Plummer's character. It's just so weird. Yeah. And I think with Robert Redford's character, he's just taking advantage of her age mm-hmm. and inexperience as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he feels a little bit bad about it. And maybe that's why he deserts mm-hmm. her. Yes. It's like, that's not the way to do it. You probably should have felt that way before you married her. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was just something I wanted to bring up. We got to talk about this stuff. She was just victim to so many different things. And I think people don't understand that. They use like what they interpret as like her promiscuity yeah. as her being a bad person. And it's very much the opposite. It's like traumas she suffered as a child led to some of these other things happening. I just want people to understand her and where she came from and what happened to her before making judgments. Yeah, yeah. No, no judgments was Natalie. This was not her fault. No. And I think this property is condemned is in that same vein as well of the effects of growing up with her mother pimping her out to all of these older men and like Robert Redford's character judging her for that yeah Um, yeah yeah do you want to explain about this property it's condemned sure (laughs) so this film came out in 1966 Natalie plays Alva who lives with her mother and her younger sister in like a hotel or something yeah Yeah, Yeah. it's like a b&b yeah (laughs) (laughs) not very well run (laughs) no and her mom she runs the place and she has alva hang out with all these older rich men so they can like get money and opportunities and stuff it's set in the deep south in the 1930s like during the great depression and then robert redford's character owen comes to town and he works for some government agency, I think. Yeah. And he's supposed to be firing people who work in their rail yards because they don't have enough money to pay everybody that works there. And then he and Natalie become like very fascinated with each other. But she's not aware of what he's supposed to be doing. This film's an odd one. It's kind of the same. I have the same thoughts about it with like Love with the Proper Stranger, where I really enjoyed like the first half. And then the last act's very odd. I don't know. It doesn't work well. But yeah, I love the romance between Alva and Owen. I know half the time he is like slut shaming her, but I don't know. I thought they were like 
I like them together. Yeah, I also like how like he got one with her sister when he went out for ice cream together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very sweet. Yeah. I'm talking about all the schmaltzy stuff, but it is quite a it is a drama at heart. Like it is quite dark in a way. There's men are trying to get with Alva. It's a bit like, oh god, I was so nervous about the whole film. Um, about what was gonna happen. But, but <laughs> this is the best Natalie has ever looked on screen. Yeah. She looks incredible. Stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. It's the hair we haven't really seen yet, where it's straight, mm-hmm. shoulder length. Beautiful. Gorgeous. It just suits her so much. Mm-hmm. She looks a bit, she's wearing the beads. And her style is still Edith Head, we love, but it's quite what she would actually wear, like what mm-hmm. Alva would afford in those days. And I just love that. I think that's just that's good costume designing right there. Oh, and the accent. Accent queen. So yes. good. <laughs> it's southern, but it's not like a drawl, like good. It's yeah. very believable, I would say. Um what about you? What, tell me your thoughts. Okay. So this is another one I rewatched for the podcast and I liked it a little bit less the second time. I still love Natalie's performance in this. I think it's definitely a top three. She brings something so special to Alva. You can really feel for her. She's kind of child, especially in that scene in the train that I included like a clip of yeah. in the bio. Like she just wants to see the good things in life. And I don't know, she's such a sweet character and it's tough to see the other people ruin that for yeah. her along the way. Um I think being based off of a very short play, it doesn't really need to be about two hours long because yeah. sometimes it really drags. Last half does not compare to the first. I don't get it. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't want to say I dislike Robert Redford because I thought he was actually pretty good in this. I just... Yeah. His character just started to get on my nerves after a yeah. while. Yeah. The one slut shaming comment a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. He called her a whore without trying to understand anything about right. her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, I'm done with you. I, I don't need You're to done. see You're you done. anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so how I feel like they should have done the ending was I don't think she should have gone back to him. No. And I think she should have taken her sister with her and they both just moved to Chicago by themselves and of course not end so abruptly I could see why they would have her maybe like she would be dependent on him maybe up to a point but I think after that comment and then he left for New Orleans I don't think she would have followed him yeah she should Um, because like she marries Charles Bronson's character to get back at her mom and then, of course, she regrets it. But I really would have loved to have seen her just go somewhere else after that. Yes, not to Owen, Robert Redford's character. No. I don't think she would have learned at that point not to depend on toxic men. Yes. But I guess not. <laughs> and they don't even mention her sister at the end. No. Oh. Like, it's so weird. They've just forgotten about her. Yeah. This is a, a really, like, integral part. She's practically homeless now, actually, because she's telling the story. Yeah. It's just all over the place. When we were watching it, you said like early on, you were like, "This is my like favorite Natalie performance," and like, I definitely got that for sure. 
Yeah. So good. I mean, she's great. It's so strange to me how so many of her films aren't like great, but then she is amazing. Yeah. I'm just like, why does that keep happening? Such an odd will. She's always the best part of them. Yeah. I can think of a couple that I like as films, but I don't know. It's just weird to look through all the ones I've seen and be like, most of these I didn't love. Yeah. Do you think she would have been better suited for another era of films? I think she would have been good in the 80s. I really do. I feel like that would have been her calling. Power ladies in power suits and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know. I just, yeah, she was kind yeah. of wasted upon Yeah, in her eras. What about you? Did you have a time period? I was thinking 70s or 80s and I would have loved to have seen her work with a woman director yeah a lot of the directors she worked with were newcomers which is great that she gave them a chance and like a lot of them are famous now because of her and like I love that but and I also think a lot of them just didn't they didn't get along with her creatively or like really knew how to work with her they didn't yeah at all yeah no they didn't know how to use her yeah and uh, i was reading some review of this property is condemned and this person was saying the director of that film Sidney pollock later collaborated a lot with robert redford but then he mm-hmm. never worked with natalie again that's so, so weird. I just find it odd. And she was the one that gave both him and Robert Redford their careers, essentially. I'm rolling my eyes. Like, yeah. So typical. This is yeah. so angry. And then I was also talking with my mom about this the other day with the film Ordinary People, how she like really wanted to play Mary Tyler Moore's character in that. And then Robert Redford didn't even consider her for the part. And like, she was really offended by that. And, you know, they weren't really friends after that. And I can understand that she would feel very upset that like, she, I don't want to say she made him. She helped him a lot. Yeah. Yeah, she gave him his first film role. Come on. And then he never really acknowledged that afterwards. That's how a lot of people treated her. They're just like, oh, thanks. Cool. I'm going to go become really famous now. <laughs> I'm really yeah. pissed actually hearing that about Robert Redford. It makes me a bit upset. Yeah. And I think for her to break off their friendship after that, like it must have been a really big deal for have, her. It must have broke her. Yeah. I would be upset. I'd be yeah. annoyed. But I think her... Being able to work with female directors, like I was thinking Elaine May, who did a lot of like those awkward comedies or like character studies. Nice. Um, Yeah. So you remember the sister in Flender in the Grass? Yes. So the actress, Barbara Loden, she directed one film before she died called Wanda, which is one of my favorite movies. But I could see like, them collaborating on something sort of like that like it's an exploration of a woman in a man's world and trying to find her own yeah totally (laughs) good I think she would have thrived under a woman yeah and I 
Just so disappointed she never got to work That's, with one. Either Penny Marshall would be quite good. Yeah. Because anyone, because well, there's not a lot of women directors at that time. At least, not that no. I know. Definitely right. not 70s. No. I can think of a few in the 80s. The only one I can think of, like, early in the game was Agnes Varda. But I can't really see oh, yeah. that in a French film. <laughs> no. Ooh, what about, I'm not familiar with Russian cinema, but. Yeah, yeah, like the Tarkovskys and stuff. I actually quite like Russian cinema. <laughs> I really do. It's quite gritty, though. Yeah. It might be a bit too gritty. <laughs> the 60s, even though most of those films are my favorite performances of hers, they're not really, like, respecting women or getting no. them that much to work with. She's the lead in a lot of these films. Yet they yeah. just focus all their attention on the men. Yeah. Because okay. if I think about a lot of the actors that she did work with, I'd say arguably they're more famous than she is, or at least like their names are more known. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Which is just stupid. <laughs> it should be the case. A lot of people even forget like she was in Rebel Without a Cause. Like they know that film, but... I don't think I knew, genuinely, like until recently. And I mean, she was Oscar nominated and like, yeah. I think it really just comes down to like people didn't take her seriously for some reason even though she literally proved she was an incredible actress she was a great businesswoman like she understood the game this kind of also is annoying to say because our next film completely goes against everything we've just said about how much of an amazing actress and woman she is because Wait, which one is it? Oh, in Bob and Carol. Oh, yeah. Because they do her dirty in that. That's They wasted her in that. I do have one in between that and Bob oh, and yes, Carol. No. What is it? <laughs> so this one, it's called Penelope, and it came out in 66. And she's like a kleptomaniac. And so she Ooh. likes to rob stuff. And I actually really love her character in this. I just wish the film was better. Yeah. Is this but, one with Peter Falk? Yes, yeah. And they are so adorable together. Uh, I love them. Are they together? Uh, no. Okay. Because <laughs> she's married to this other guy, but then she robs her husband's bank. But she's like in a disguise, so people don't know it's her. And then Ooh, Peter okay. Falk is like, I think a lot of people said it was her like pre-Columbo Columbo. Oh, like <laughs> this detective yeah. gig. So yeah, he's the one investigating this the robbery. Nice. Um, it's pretty fun, and I really love her, and I love seeing her interact with Peter, but there's just like some really questionable stuff in there. There's this scene where she almost gets raped, and it's played off as funny. It's really disturbing and did not yeah. need to be in the film, and I'm sure for her that brought back a lot of memories. But yeah, great costumes. Edith Head did them. Just as a film, I really wish it could have been better because it does hit a lot of the right spots for me. It sounds good plot-wise. Yeah. Cast-wise. I'd watch it if you like her because, yeah, she's great. I think it's too bad that I think she turned down Bonnie and Clyde for this. Oh, yeah, that sucks. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Could you see her in Bonnie and Clyde? she would have been 
really good, but I could see her not wanting to work with Warren Beatty again. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. No, none of us would. <laughs> no. <laughs> it would have been great if she had that part because it would have taken her career in a whole new direction. That's about all I have to say on Penelope. But I did have that as my most underappreciated. Nice. She does a good, she does good acting in it. Yeah. Weird. But yeah, that is not talked about enough. No. Even in a lot of the biographies and stuff, like they barely mention it. So odd. They, yeah. they really do just have their own set films that they want to talk about. Yeah. But I don't know why they don't talk about this one, though, because it was the last movie she made for two or three years. Yeah. And also, I tried to figure out, like, her and Peter Falk's friendship, if they were friends, because I really want them to be but I couldn't find anything I'm just gonna believe they were no I I believe they were (laughs) you star in two films come on yeah and their chemistry is great in this I'm now imagining Natalie Wood feast with the Ocean's 8 with all the women (laughs) she would have been so good I don't quite remember I remember not enjoying the film but (laughs) but if she was she'd be great yeah she would have made it better yeah (laughs) Um, so should we do Bob and Carol, Ted and Alice? Yeah, yeah. So Bob and Carol are married and Ted and Alice are married and they are friends basically together. And opens with Bob and Carol going to this like weird couples retreat and like they learn like about feelings and like how to voice your, your thoughts and stuff. It's so weird. And it also starts like straight away, like naked mm-hmm. bodies. Yeah, they were like boobs. It was really yeah. weird. Yeah. Also, that's the only thing we see is that, which, like, nothing from the men? Nothing? Nope. Not so even that a butt. We should have known from then that this film was going to be so sexist. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, that's true. <laughs> they did the... every chance they could to show. To warn us that we did not take it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, so, yeah, then Bob and Carol will leave this retreat for the better. And then we find out that Bob cheated on Carol when he was in San Francisco. But it was just sex. That wasn't like a connection, and Carol's fine with it, which is oh, so weird. But yeah, anyways, she also, wouldn't be. Natalie but, um, is Carol. <laughs> Natalie is Carol. Yes, and then and then it's kind of like she tells Ted and Alice who are their friends about it, and it kind of ruins the group dynamic a little bit. And they're all kind of thinking about sex, about relationships. It's just it's odd. And then it all culminates in them going on a holiday together. And they're like, oh, you've cheated on me. You've cheated on me. Let's just all have sex together. We saw the cast. We're quite excited. Natalie Wood. And this is quite well into her career. Mm-hmm. I don't know who plays Bob. I think. Does he matter? No. no. <laughs> Robert Cole. Okay. Yeah. No idea. <laughs> no. I don't think I've seen him in anything else. But I wouldn't be able to because... This has ruined him. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and Ted is played by Elliot Gould, who I am quite, I like him. Maybe not so much in this. He uh, started off well, but as usual, men in films are just, they're the worst. Yeah. Um, and then Alice is played by Diane Cannon, who I was shocked to find out was married to Cary Grant. That's wild to me. I was um, so surprised you didn't know that. I'm the worst. <laughs> but she was a standout. She was the best. I'm obsessed. Mm-hmm. It made me into a very big fan of hers. Only the only positive thing of this film is Diane yeah. Cannon's Alice. <laughs> Audrey, yes. unload them. All your thoughts. Oh, yes. Carol and Ted and Alice. 
I actually despise this film. It made me feel physically ill during and after watching. And I hardly ever have this kind of reaction to a film, thankfully. But yeah, this is just a movie about terrible people, minus Alice. It's not a long movie, but it feels so long. And I was having a hard time like spending it with them. Yeah, And it's so misogynistic, like the way especially Carol's character is written. I'm just like, has this person ever met a woman? Like, (laughs) and it made me so disappointed because Natalie looked amazing. I loved her like 60s looks and they were just using her as eye candy. Yeah. A couple scenes that come to mind are when they're like at the pool party and it's, showing like Elliot in the pool and she's standing and like half of the screen is her butt yeah disgusting it's just like okay and this happens maybe two other times there's it happens twice which is two times too many yeah and I'm just like this is Natalie Wood like put some respect on her name and give her a good character to play and since this was like her return to movies after taking some time off to start her family it's just kind of why did she pick this one I don't know yeah Bob is probably the worst character ever Um, I don't think I've ever hated anyone as much as I hate Bob (laughs) (laughs) literally so oh you didn't like the weird looking into the camera bit oh yeah oh yeah there was during the orgy scene the two guys like look into the camera at one point and I was like oh no No, stop looking at me (laughs) yeah but there's just so many weird and uncomfortable things about this film that just it was not a pleasant experience for me not at all yeah And I think just because the sexual politics of the 60s are so much different than they are today, it just doesn't apply anymore. No. They definitely tried to be a bit more ahead of the curve, like having both have affairs and stuff like that, but it just didn't come across well at all. No. I think they like tried too much in a way and then it just came off as really sexist. Yeah. Because Bob has an affair and Carol's okay with it, which is weird, honestly. I don't like how self-servient they make her to him. Yeah. It's just not right. And then when she has an affair, of course, he gets really upset and wants mm-hmm. to beat up the other guy. But I felt like they we were supposed to be siding with Bob. Yes. And um, there's no way on hell. No, I am never agreeing with Bob in any on anything ever. <laughs> What did you think? Oh, yeah, I'm the same with you. I hated it so much. I, I liked it at first. This is my vibe. I like the 60s. I love Natalie Wood. I love Elliot Gold. I fell in love with Diane. But yeah, it was just so bad. And I think it was when, like, I don't even really knew what to do with the characters. Like, we could have Bob be cheating, pig, whatever. But, like, when it turned into, like, Ted also becoming horrid like that, it just, I lost all respect I had for this film. It made me so angry to have him like that. Like, oh, it made me so angry. But, but yeah, it's just an awful film. 
it's I could see what it was trying to go for, but the execution was just awful. Yeah. What you say about like how yeah, this writer has never met or interacted with a woman in his life. I'm sorry. Never. <laughs> it's just not the one. Yeah. I put my things Bob, number one enemy. Which is true. Oh my god, yeah. We hate Bob. And along with Ted as well. I was so disappointed in oh, Ted. Yeah. It started off so funny, and then there was just all the stuff in bed, and it just, oh, yeah, no. This is one of those films I just didn't know where to stop. It just kept going. I still don't really get its themes or its messages. Is it trying to say that free love is bad? Which is wild, because this is 69. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the height of that era. So unless they are calling it bad, but then having actors that are synonymous with, like, late 60s and stuff, it makes no sense in my head. I thought at first it was supposed to be a satire, but then they kind of stopped that after they came back from that couple's retreat. I think it's, it stopped being funny and like a satire, like after Ted cheated, because that's when it just lost all meaning and the characters were ir- irredeemable in my eyes. There was no coming back from that. Yeah, why did they even make Ted a loser? Because he was decent at first. Yeah. I don't know. In a way, does this film make the men look bad? Because it succeeds in that. I honestly have no idea because I personally didn't like Bob or Ted, but I couldn't tell if the film was showing that because with the way Carol reacted yes. to Bob telling her, like, essentially she was like, oh, that's okay, let's sleep together. Yeah. To me, that comes off as, oh, it's okay that he cheated. Yes, it which would be so upset. Yeah. Yeah. And then, totally. of course, Alice is right. She was like, I despise Bob or something. Yeah. And I was like, yes, me too. Yeah. And yes. she felt bad for Carol, which is, that's how I felt too. Yeah. To a point. I don't know. I did. Yeah. But then she never questioned him, never challenged him. I'd be bringing it up all the time. And then we yeah. see the woman as well, and she doesn't really care. No, it's interesting because obviously that is quite cool. She stands by her man. But like, also, why would you? He is horrible. There is nothing nice about him. They don't show anything fun about him at all. That would make no. us think, okay, yeah, maybe they can make it work. But no, yeah, we just want them done. And it's even worse for me because both of Natalie's husbands cheated on her. Yes. And to see her character not care is just weird. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awful thing. What, a lot of our films are so self-biographical. Like, yeah. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, this is a really awful film. And people on Letterboxd love it. I don't get it. (laughs) Alice, MVP, she deserved better than those people. The ending ruined her, though. Like, I didn't think the ending made sense for Alice. No, they didn't know what to do with it. No. I thought it would have been... So they all, like, have, like, a foursome, basically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) They don't go ahead with it, but like they're all like under the covers. No, because you know it's what? like homophobic. Yes. yes. <laughs> but I think they should have gone through it. I do. Yeah. Because that would have changed something in the group. I know like they do get changed after. But I think that would have made it better in a way. Yeah, I agree. They and them not going through with it basically ruined the whole purpose of the movie, I felt. Yeah, yeah. What was this leading up to? I don't know. <laughs> don't sleep with your friend? No. 
I don't know. <laughs> so this film was like a smash success in like when it came out. But Natalie didn't really do any movies that like in the period after that, which I find odd. Why do you think she chose to do that? It's so weird because yeah, like she's come from such an like iconic run of films. End it for a bit on that. It's so odd. Unless maybe family time. Yeah. I do think it's because she had her two daughters and like, I really understand and appreciate that she wanted to give them like a normal childhood, but I think it ended up impacting the film she could, she was offered later on. Yeah. And this kind of goes into my next question of why do you think her and like a lot of other iconic old Hollywood stars weren't like super successful in the seventies and eighties? I'm thinking it's differently shot. It's no longer like black and white. Some of them, some of those actresses were made for black and white films. I think they got lost in the mix when it became like in colour and stuff. But I also think it's because Hollywood has an age issue for sure. They drop women as soon as they turn like 35. Like it's just, it's awful. It really is. They couldn't transition because they didn't make any roles for them. It was just younger women getting it. Just Hollywood once again, effing everything up. Definitely ageism and also sexism, probably. Yeah. Because um, the men could do it easy, I bet. Yeah, because there's plenty of peop- men I can think of from that era, like who were popular in the 40s and 50s, who were able yes. to go into 70s. But then the women, they're like, eh, no, you have wrinkles. So you're done. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's they just didn't really have parts for them because that was definitely an era of like male led films. Yes, yeah, and like all male ensembles and yeah. stuff. And maybe one female love interest. And, and then, there was always a younger woman. Yeah. It's really sad though because like they're established. Yeah. They're great actors, and they've just um, been forgotten about. The only woman I can really think of is Shelley Winters, but then they always made her like the fat, hysterical, like joke mm-hmm. to be made of character. So I love Shelley Winters, but I it's so upsetting to watch some of those films from the era because they're always fat shaming her and awful. I'm just like, <sighs> yeah. Horrid, yeah, nasty yeah. stuff. I also think about like Barbara Stanwyck. She found it really like she had to go into TV into the seventies because yeah. she, she couldn't get roles anymore. That's Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, she had a good career, but in television, but... wasn't even old. No. She was in her thirties in the seventies. She's it's Natalie Wood as well. Maybe also like I know both of her husbands were very jealous of her success. Yes, so maybe they didn't really want her to get out there and yeah look yeah. for stuff yeah I don't know in a way like blacklisting her in a way yeah god I didn't think of that I don't know that just a theory but yeah I don't know. I still can't comprehend like why everyone wasted her yeah I think around this point in her career like she wanted to become a director could you have seen her doing that I think yeah yeah I think it's very hard to say but if she had the passion for it I think she would have really delivered with it 
Yeah. I wonder what film she would have made. Yeah. What do you think? A lot of the films she was interested in making as an actor were like based on plays or books that she could relate to. So I could see her trying to do that. I think since she knew the industry so well and like truly understood filmmaking and she also knew a lot of actors and screenwriters and stuff, then I could definitely see her doing it. That's sweet that she wanted to do that. I like that. Yeah. I could see her and all her friends like collaborating on a film. That would have been really cool. I just think she'd be very caring as well with it. I think she'd Mm -hmm. be a very good filmmaker. Yeah. So the second to last movie we'll be talking about is Meteor, which came out in 1979. It was only one of two films that she did that came out in the 70s because I'm not counting the candidate because she only had one scene in that um it was the only disaster movie she made it's not up there for me anyway with the disaster films but it definitely wasn't as bad as I thought it would be and it's about this meteor that is going to crash into the earth and the U.S. and Soviet Union have to work together to basically shoot nuclear missiles at the meteor to blow it up. You're describing it perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) And Natalie plays an interpreter for the Russian leader guy I don't quite yeah, remember yeah. what his title is yeah what is his job title I don't know <laughs> like head of space yeah the space stuff and she gets to speak Russian in this which she was very fluent in growing up with Russian immigrant parents and then there's also Sean Connery who plays Paul Bradley I can't really remember what he does, but he definitely seems to be in charge of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We also got Carl Malden. He plays Harry Sherwood. And he and Paul have opposing ideas about how they want to solve this meteor issue. And all their, like, back and forth stuff is really funny. (laughs) And then we also have... Henry Fonda as the president. Yes. Um, He has three scenes, maybe. (laughs) Just looking very serious and upset. But yeah, definitely a highlight for me. Oh, yeah. He'd make a great president. (laughs) He really would, yeah. It's just about trying to get the U.S. and Russia together and make sure people don't die. They don't do a very good job at it, I will say. Oh no, there's a lot of distressing scenes of the meteor. Yeah. Did you want to share your thoughts on it? Yeah, Yeah, so what you said earlier, I completely agree with. It is, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was. I thought it was just going to be like some boring space film. It's always like in a meeting, talking all the time. But it just, it was just fun as well. Obviously, we don't see Nat until maybe like a couple second act in a way, you know, like you wait a bit to see her. I was thinking, oh, we're going to be stuck with Sean Connery. This is the worst. But can I just say, I know he's not a friend of the pod, 
but his character is just so funny in it like but like unintentionally yeah yeah (laughs) he is roasting everyone every (laughs) time before he exits a room he like says something really snarky and then he just leaves (laughs) and it's great He's like he's roasting everyone. He's like on the level of the fake Oswalds in exactly yeah. that. What a conversation between all them. So he says, so there's a swear in this, but so he says, Why don't you stick a broom up my ass? I can sweep the carpet on the way out. <laughs> and I know that's like an idiom in the Coleman family. I'm so confused. Wait, really? Yeah, like so if you like your um Oh, can you get me this? And then, oh, why are you there? Can you get me this? And so I'm like, Dad, get me a yogurt. Oh, get me a big spoon. Oh, get me a plate to put it on. And then he's like, so you want me to do all this, basically? So when I heard him say that, it took me out completely. <laughs> I actually love that. Wait, I can't believe it. <laughs> so is that not like a, did you not know that saying? Maybe no. Did your dad, is he a secret fan of this film? <laughs> I would not be surprised. <laughs> it definitely feels like a dad movie. For sure. That is literally the perfect way to describe yeah. it. This is a dad film. Yes. <laughs> like your dad's favorite actors <laughs> all together. I, I actually think his favorite Bond is Sean Connery as well. So it actually makes sense. Surprisingly, but, um, the screenplay was pretty good. Yes. Yeah. And it wasn't like jargon field as well. Like you could actually kind of follow along if you didn't really know about the subject as well. It was quite easy in that sense, which I thought was very good. Yeah. But yeah, should we get on to then? So that's Sean Connery. He owns the first <laughs> half. <laughs> and obviously we love, and we see more Henry in the first part as well. We love him as the president. Perfect. But yeah, we were so looking forward to Natalie. Yeah. Because she's in Because this is that's her so route, cute. you know, and I really love that. And we got to hear her speaking Russian. It was amazing. Yes. Yeah. And she spoke it so well. Yes. Not that I know anything about <laughs> Russian, but I'm... <laughs> it's she not a good saying, to me. Yeah, no, she could have said anything. And we were like, oh, yeah, okay. So it worked. Like, but yeah, it was... I'm always fascinated by interpreters. And I thought the way they put it in the movie was nice. There was a nice flow to it. Yes. Yeah. And I really like that bit as well when she's first interpreting, but then there's someone else also interpreting it <laughs> because they have to make sure what she's saying is true. And I just thought that was a good little gag. Like, I like that. That was good. Especially that <laughs> we were like... Sean Connery had to ruin it. Because yeah. I'll take the pretty one. <laughs> what if you picked the guy? <laughs> like, Nat steps forward and no, you. <laughs> that would have been way better. That's the only, like, issue... Obviously, it's not the best film. But it would have been so much better if they didn't have this forced romance between Connery and Natalie. That's my only kind of issue with it. That... Come on, guys. This is so tired. The romance was stupid, and I thought they just tacked it on because they could, but it really didn't make sense. And it's like... I. I guess the world is ending or whatever you gotta get together but it just didn't make sense for them because they were trying yeah. to save the world exactly like they weren't focusing on stuff like that no you probably got one scene of them talking about like their lives and stuff but like even that's just for bonding yeah they think they're gonna die like, oh I'm in love so weirdly enough um 
uh, Natalie's sister, Lana, was a Bond girl, and she and Sean Connery had a relationship in the 60s. It's really weird to think about him, like, working with both of them. He's so lucky. Yeah. Why him? (laughs) Yeah. Let me look up which Bond movie it was. She was in a Diamonds Are Forever. I don't think I've seen that one. I've seen Goldfinger. That's the only one I remember. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, no comment. I've seen Gold Member, the Austin Powers. <laughs> Much better. Yeah. Oh yeah. I bet. And then also this is really weird too, but Lana was in a relationship with Warren Beatty after Ooh. he and Natalie broke up. Yeah, that's oh I don't like it. I wouldn't no. want to date. I wouldn't want to like I know. Did Natalie and Warren officially date? Yes. Like a, yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, I could not go out with one of my sisters, like someone she went out with. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. So I think they broke up after he didn't go to Natalie's funeral. And so Lana was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, as you got. That, yeah, that really annoyed me when I read that. He didn't even go. Yeah. No, but it's Warren Bay, so I don't know. Understandable, but yeah. still a sucky thing to do. I was going to say the dumbest thing I've ever thought in my life. And I was going to say... <laughs> oh, I now you got to tell me. I got to tell you. I was going to say, what was Elvis's reaction to her death? Uh, he fucking died before, yeah. <laughs> I wonder how she reacted to his death, though. Well, I don't think they, like, stayed close after no. they broke up. But I do wonder if they really had stayed together, what would have happened? Be very interesting, wouldn't it? But I think yeah. it is like how you mentioned in the in the bio, she didn't like to be controlled in it. So I think she definitely would have. She yeah, would have stayed with them. Yeah, no. Nah. Yeah, it, it's probably for the best, honestly. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. meant to be in it. Okay, so the thing with this being a disaster film and not really succeeding is the special effects are pretty bad but I think it also adds to the camp factor yes. yeah like they really tried <laughs> they did. the 79 audiences were like whoa yeah <laughs> that's true just... they didn't know any better but oh my god you saying that just reminded me of the zooms the close-ups of the rocket <laughs> It was like half of the movie. <laughs> it was Please just showing stop. the rockets flying through space. <laughs> I could see it was sort of inspired by Star Wars. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it came out yeah. two years after. Yeah. They either didn't have the budget or like good special effects people. Because if you rewatch Star Wars, it's, yeah, that's definitely like a plastic model. But yes. at least they try and get the proportions right. Yes, I really love with the first Star Wars is that you can tell that they're like models and stuff. I love that. I think it's so authentic than doing what Meteor did. (laughs) Did you want to talk about the mud slide part? Oh, God, that was horrific. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the climax, isn't it, really? Mm -hmm. And the Meteor kind of hits their base. 
Oh yeah, it predicts 9-11. It hits the Twin Towers and- Like the first shot of it hitting a New York skyline and it's the towers. Yeah, it's really scary in hindsight. Their base is like in a subway station or something, which yeah, is why so is it stupid. <laughs> why did they put it underground? <laughs> I think was Carl Malden's character the one that wanted them to be under there? Oh, uh, yeah, that sounds about right. Actually. That would not his. Yeah, because I think yeah. his reasoning was that no one would know they were there if they were under the biggest city in the world. <laughs> I'm like, that's like the most obvious place. (laughs) They basically get stuck down there because all this mud comes like seeping through the walls. And yeah, if you listen to the bio episode, Natalie talked about that experience, but she left Mm -hmm. out some important details and that almost everybody died. They were filming that scene. What? Um, Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then in the clip, she's like, oh, it was really scary. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, you almost died. What? Don't downplay it. Oh my yeah. God. Oh, my God. So what happened? Was so, it just the, the drowning in a way? Yeah, because it was just so heavy and there was so much coming from all different directions. And they were saying, like, Carl Malden almost drowned in the under the mud. And then Natalie almost got sucked into one of the like where the mud was shooting yes. from she almost got sucked into it oh my god that's horrific and I think just everybody was like falling and almost like and, uh, but it their covered head. their face they were yeah completely covered in mud they probably couldn't see where they were going yeah. they couldn't wipe their eyes oh my god that's horrific yeah to feel and for what for a scene yeah it's one scene in this movie no one ever saw <laughs> Oh, oh my yeah. god so I'm just glad everyone survived that yeah and I feel bad for Carl Mullen because I mean he wasn't young but yeah. and he was mm-hmm. like trying to help carry people out and just oh my god this is really stressful these people are literally fighting for their lives that's insane yeah. I, I'm like a little bit speechless at that I just I never understood those like films where like, they almost died making it come on directors it's not that deep. It's no. Just your actor in that position. Back then, like, they just did not care no, what they no, were they putting do. their actors through. Yeah, they would do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Now they'd probably CGI the mud or something. Also, that's, like, the help of unions, I bet, as well. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that. No. <laughs> You're protected now. <laughs> but, I, yeah, I would feel really bad if I was the director and I almost killed all of these Hollywood stars feel very responsible (laughs) have you seen any other disaster films from this era not from the 70s i was really surprised i didn't think they'd have it in those times i've seen obviously like more recent ones i don't watch them they scare me a lot we have the day after tomorrow and like 2012 which i did not watch i was so scared 2012 being the day the world ends (laughs) i know i didn't know it was like a genre in those days what have you seen any the towering inferno (laughs) Okay, yes. <laughs> I've seen the Poseidon Adventure. I feel like I've seen others. But yeah, that was a big genre in the 70s. And they would get all of these older Hollywood actors 
to be in them. So they usually have really big casts and they just, they pick something to go wrong. So like Towering Inferno, it's like the building is burning down and everyone's trapped inside. And then Poseidon Adventure, they're all on this boat that's sinking and they have to get up and get help. Oh my god. So they're pretty terrifying and like you can tell like they're actually like putting them through a lot of crazy stuff. But I think it fizzled out in the 80s and yeah I think they have made a comeback but more apocalyptic type stuff. Oh no apocalyptic films are definitely more taken over. Yeah yeah. I wonder if with this, with the, in that era, maybe it's like the context of the time. Like this was like the aftermath of the Cold War and stuff. So maybe mm-hmm. that put fear into people's minds. Yeah. When they made these films. Maybe they're kind of the Marvel movies of the 70s. Like kind of the big blockbuster hits with the big yeah. cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of action. Actually, Audrey, could you define disaster movie then? Sure, I can try. Look at loads of different ones. Uh, I think it's any movie where there's this group of people who are pitted against some sort of natural element or scary occurrence, and they have to work together to fix the issue. And of course, usually they don't really get along. So the, <laughs> there's lots of conflict and all that. Um, right. Do you think with Meteor, the conflict was natural or do you think they just put it in there just to have conflict? Because like the co- main conflict was between the guy and his, the one who was always in uniform, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was it? Martin Landau. Oh, was sorry. like the head of the military or something. Yes. Yeah, because he, he didn't think it was such a big threat, did he? Yeah. It definitely needed to be there because then the next scene after him saying, oh, it's not a big threat, is then it, like, killing all these kids in the ski lodge. Yeah. <laughs> so in a way, that is a bit redundant to have that scene of him saying it because then he just flip-flops back. I don't hate it, especially because I'm glad it wasn't aimed at Natalie or, like, her or Sean were fighting, you know what I mean? And, like, I know I didn't like them being together, but I didn't want him fighting either. Yeah. Oh, no, what was your thoughts on it? I liked that they didn't make it annoying. I guess I get so bothered by like continuous conflict, so I felt like they did a good job of making it seem realistic on both ends. Yeah. Why they would either want to shoot the missiles or not. But yeah, I felt like he changed his mind too quickly, but maybe that is realistic. If people are already getting killed by the meteor, then you're like, yeah. oh, okay, never mind. We do need to get rid of it. We saw what happened in the ski lodge. And then he would still be like, yeah, no, it's not dangerous to us. Then yeah. he would be like, oh, okay, come on. They'll just put this in to stretch out the scene. But at least yeah. they, they did it okay. That might be accurate to the US, actually, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, another question I had was, why do you think there was such a craze for this in the 70s because if you look at the other genres during the 70s it's very like depressing and melancholy and then it's like oh everyone's gonna die (laughs) weird (laughs) mix yeah yeah no that's so good to mention when i think of the 70s i think of independent american cinema which is so different (laughs) from disaster movies like you said like disaster movies have older Hollywood actors in. They've got special effects. 
whereas these independent ones were just made off of the money they have like it's insane the, the difference i definitely believe it's probably like society coming to terms with the end of a lot of wars and stuff like they can finally put it in a media that they can show it in and they're showing american and russians getting on in meteor and i think that's quite interesting given what's happened previously so i think it was just a way of being like in real life we've gone through these horrors but we've come out alive like how the characters in the film are doing they're going through this thing but then they end up fine in the end yeah yeah yeah, that makes sense i yeah same and i think especially with this one some of the stuff between the u.s and the soviet union was like okay we get it (laughs) like yeah trying to like put this together but i think it's pretty cool they did try to do that because that wasn't too long after. I mean, just with the JFK stuff we were talking about, the U.S. was really afraid of communism in Russia and stuff like that. And maybe it was just this sort of escapism. Like, personally, I wouldn't want to watch a disaster film to escape from my troubles, but I think it was just pre-blockbuster blockbuster. Yes. That's what got people in the cinemas and stuff. Yeah. But it is weird to look at what came out in that decade it's such a strange mixture i also think it's odd that most of the casts were made up of these established actors and it's like it's sad that their career is ends at this point because this was like one of henry fonda's last movies and of course it was also one of natalie's last films yeah do you think there just wasn't a draw for there must have been a draw for them but not in a sense that they used to have. I think this was their like chance of getting back into mainstream cinema. It's very interesting. We always like what you said earlier about how the disaster films are like the Marvel films today. And that's I always think of older holy older actors are now trying to revive their careers with Marvel films, which just hurts my soul. But I think it's like <laughs> it just hurts. Ugh, I hate even saying Marvel. Ugh. But it's a way for them to get back into it, back into acting, back into the con- people's conscious. That was the only way they could do it. It is so weird, though, as to why they had all these famous stars. Yeah. Henry Fonda in Meteor. It's just insane. <laughs> yeah, the last have, like, decade what? of his career was weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, because I was just thinking, like, I always forget that Robert Redford was in endgame and maybe some like <laughs> earlier marvel movies. what <laughs> like yeah excuse me <laughs> but is he still alive is robert redford still alive yes <laughs> i genuinely thought he was dead oh my god <laughs> oh my god i thought he oh my god i'm in, i'm shocked <laughs> oh my god but anyway yeah i just it probably is just it's a way not. for them to get back into yeah people's hearts should we do brainstorm? Well, the brainstorm. Yeah, yeah let's do okay. it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, is this her only film from the eighties? Presumably, yes. Ma- like yeah. proper main film. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in nineteen eighty-three, which is obviously the same year Natalie died. It was two years after. Two years after. Yeah. So yeah. So brainstorm was released posthumously. And it's about a group of scientists where they've created this contraption where you can 
be moved into someone else's feelings and like thoughts and so you could like like hear things that they hear see things they see things like that but it goes a bit trippy when someone dies with the machine on and then they like travel into a dead body and it revives them a bit but it's just it's spirals <laughs> not very good um yeah but yeah it's confusing it's such a good premise but i think yeah. it, was, it might be a bit ahead of its time christopher walkins in the like scientific part of the team and then natalie wood who's his wife or ex-wife <laughs> they're in a bit of a weird relationship they got divorced but then they get back together throughout the course of the film she's also part of the team as well but more like like the marketing side not like the scientific side but like kind of like the business side i'd say it's kind of virtual reality yes yes like they put yes. on this headset and they're basically like transported into this pre-recorded footage and you see them throughout the film recording this stuff like this guy's wearing this giant like thing on his head and like going down a water slide and riding horses and stuff it's really goofy <laughs> oh and then oh my god wait do you remember do you remember the guy that like almost dies because he's obsessed with watching the sex tape one i do not know <laughs> i remember there's a sex scene but i don't know about the same thing well, one of the guys, he's so obsessed with watching this one of these. It's basically like from the perspective of the guy and then he and the lady. Yeah. You get the gist. <laughs> and he like watches that for like multiple days. And so he goes without like food and water and he almost dies. I'm sorry. Like what? <laughs> it's like okay. how weird this movie is. <laughs> <laughs> That's the main thing that stuck with me. I didn't like yeah. it. I can't imagine Christopher Walken being like this nerdy scientist no, genius no. man. He is oh. not smart enough. No. <laughs> what were your thoughts on it? It was okay. I It wasn't as bad as I thought, mainly because the premise was interesting. Yeah. They really didn't go as deep with it as I would have liked to have seen. But it was so cool, and I don't like Christopher Walken, so I was, like, just ignoring him. <laughs> I thought Natalie was good. She didn't have a lot to do, though. But it was interesting to see her in something so of the time and, like, updated, I guess, for that era, like, with all the technology yes. and, like, hearing her talk about technology and, like, typing on computers is really weird. <laughs> so true though that's things we would never see yeah no and she was like hacking into the mainframe hack queen yeah and then is it louise fletcher yes so she's like the third like star she created the program right can i just say yeah that's very progressive it's so typical that crystal walken takes a credit away Boo. But, yeah, no, I re- I thought she was really good as well. Yes, the women of this film. They were the no best. Notes. Yeah. There wasn't much chemistry between anyone, really. No, like it, it felt so, so awkward. awkward. Yeah. But, yeah, there was just nothing. That's why I, I, I said it. I, it just felt like they were just reading their lines for the first time. Mm-hmm. And these are people that, like, know each other. Yeah. What was Louise's character's name? <laughs> Oh, wait, I had a hair. Let me have a look. Okay. Lillian. Lillian. So she and Christopher Walken's character 
are I think we're sort of like really best friends because they created this yes. program together and there is some banter between them but I don't know maybe because they were also competing in a way as well things are a little strained but it would have been nice to just see them have more fun with each other yeah it's always um, like in competition yeah and then there was like for me I didn't see any reason why Karen and whatever Christopher Walken's name was like to want to get back together but I guess someone who worked on the film said that he didn't think that Natalie and Christopher had an affair because they didn't have any sort of sexual chemistry between them which like whether or not that's true it's very apparent in the film oh my god yeah no if if you have to watch it and guess yeah no you see hate each other yeah yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just, I don't remember it. No, it's so forgettable. It's yeah. a forgettable film. It really is. I think it would be cool to see that one get remade, though. Yes. With current technology, and they do go more into the death stuff, like I'm what happens after death. Denise and... Villeneuve would be good. Ooh. Do that. Yeah. It's quite sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah, really go more into the sci-fi stuff than, like, the relationship yes. dramas. Yeah, that's what this film, I think it didn't know what it wanted to do. No. <laughs> I know you said with, like, sneakers, that was, yes. like, a technology kind of new and big. But, like, this was a decade before, and yeah. technology is ancient, but it's still cool to see them doing, I, I don't even know. They don't explain it very well, but that's no. okay. <laughs> But like for them to even do that in the 80s, there must have been talk of things like that happening in the world, like technology progressing and stuff. Yeah. Even just for them to have that idea for a movie like that in the first place is pretty cool. You were talking about you don't remember the ending, which is because it ends pretty abruptly. And my theory is that they didn't get to actually complete the film Mm -hmm. because Natalie died before principal photography was done and so I think they just decided to cut it off and so it just feels out of nowhere it's not terrible as an ending but yeah it feels like there's still a lot of loose threads to wrap up it just finished but it's not it yeah but it's really weird that her last film has to do with death and like the afterlife Uh, It's very spooky spooky in a way. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I hate that this was her last movie. Yeah. Yeah. Why this one? Yeah. They could be worse. It could have been Meteor. True. (laughs) This was better than Meteor in my eyes. Do you think this was better? (laughs) Only slightly. I gave it a two and a half in a year or two. Interesting. (laughs) <laughs> it's very much of its time in a way with like its like visual effects and stuff or mm-hmm. special effects it's a very weird entry into her films though but I'm thinking that's probably just because of the technology aspect of it yeah it's it dated it a lot yeah because even some of her films from the 60s are not as badly dated in that sense as yeah. her 70s and 80s films so that's kind of weird. <laughs> weird to think that, but yeah. yeah. I feel like modern audiences would get on better with her older stuff than her latest stuff. Yeah. Most recent. 
any other thoughts on like the film or the end of her career it's sad that this was the end of her career i think it it shows that she had so much more to give she was starring in different films for one playing different characters in a way i like that she's like a character in she's a woman in stem yeah yeah (laughs) in a way like i like that and she's kind of like that in meteor as well so i'm glad that she's taking on these like boss women vibes i hate that thing thing. you know what i mean very strong independent career woman yeah 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 yeah. but yeah it's sad because it is a there is a decline with her if you laid all that all her films out in chronological order there is a decline we just have to watch the good ones in it yeah remember her like that it just sucks to think that this is where she ended up yeah she's good in the films and they're not like the worst thing I've ever seen no. but I just think maybe she wasn't given the opportunities that she should have been yeah but I can totally respect her for wanting to have her family and take care of her kids before going into working again I put a quote in the bio I think it was Sydney Pollock and he said something about like at the time when she was like coming into herself as an actor was the time when like people weren't really hiring her yeah which is this era yeah and I thought that was a very good observation um because I think this was the era where she was becoming more independent and thinking for herself she really did enjoy working on the tv shows and the tv movies but yeah I don't know I guess her doing what made her happy I think is more important than anything else yeah yeah did you want to talk about her death at all it's so tricky because obviously we make this podcast to remember them in a way I want to say no you know what I mean we don't really have to talk about it well, like, yeah, um, what, 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 do you want to? Yeah, I guess a little, just, yeah, like, the fact that she died and then everyone who did her wrong lived much longer or is still yeah. living is yeah. so unfair. Like, not to sound petty or childish, but I just, she deserved so much better and it always makes me so upset that she married Robert Wagner again yeah and I just think he was the root of a lot of problems and it's just it's so disrespectful of him to not really honor her memory and just blatantly lie like I think everyone knows he's not telling the truth Mm -hmm. Um, I I know I said in the last episode we were going to talk about the documentary but we didn't have time yeah which is too bad because I did want to see what they had to say but it does sound like it's still very much on his side about her death and I'm I just wish like people would stop pushing that narrative that he's innocent because he so clearly is not. I wonder why people go with that. What hold has he got? A lot of people said that he threatened them that they were going to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. Maybe when he dies, something will happen. I don't know. But even with Christopher Walken, he was there. That's like an A-list Hollywood actor. 
Yeah. If I knew him, I'd be bombarding him all the time. What happened? What happened? Yeah. No one has. Like. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think he's ever really like publicly said anything of substance. No. And I'm just like, if you really did care about her, you would say something. So I just, yeah, I don't care about him. (laughs) Literally same. Literally same. But it's so weird to think, I think everyone except for Elvis that we've covered on here died, get the hands of someone else. Yes. Um, and it, like with all of those really, except for Sharon, like we don't really know what happened. God, I found my lucky stars. At least Sharon's murderers got caught and lived out their lives in prison. That should have happened to Natalie. Yeah. Wagner should not so be walking free. Like he didn't. Nothing bad happened to him afterwards. No. Did he continue to act? Yeah, and definitely Christopher Walken still did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, it's weird with Robert Ravner. I don't think I've ever seen one of his films and can name one. I, I've like, seen a see. few of his movies, and it's always like a jump scare. <laughs> <laughs> when he shows up, yeah. <laughs> He's not that good, even. So I can see why he was so jealous of Natalie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because she was much better than he was. <laughs> <laughs> so I was jealous. What? What's a just not nice person? No. That's your wife. Yeah, she gave him a second chance. Like the least you can do is be respectful of her. Yeah. After you cheated on her, exactly. The fact that men were controlling and using her all her life, and then they still are in death, just makes me so angry because. She should be known for all of the great things she did, mm-hmm. not for all these stupid men. Yeah. Everything's always about who she dated and either out, um, offsets drama. When it's like, no, it should be on her as an actress because she's so yeah. slimming good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I remember after the Elvis movie came out, there were, I saw articles that were like, "Who was Natalie Wood, Elvis Presley's <laughs> girlfriend?" And Excuse I was like, me. Yeah, what? <laughs> I'm like shocked. Oh, uh. yeah. So I was like, Elvis I guess at least people maybe are learning about her. True. I don't, she is always known for having dated Warren Beatty or mm-hmm. dating Elvis or like all the stuff that happened with like her and Tony Curtis and all that. And I just think people really like to paint her the diva and. I think she just had standards. Yes, yes. That's like just misogyny in pure play. It's because she, too right, she wanted equal pay with Tony Curtis on the Great Race. Yeah, yeah who like, what's people... wrong with that? Exactly. But who did they side with? They side with Tony Curtis. The men. Yeah. Just because a woman's not afraid to speak out or anything. What's wrong with asking to get paid the same as your co-stars, especially if all three of you are the main character mm-hmm. and. Also, she was definitely a trailblazer for women because I think with her being like in her teenage years, not that I think she should have been like pursuing older men, but just the fact that like she wasn't afraid to go for what she wanted and in a very frigid time, I think is pretty cool in its own way. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But we had this woman that was open about it and stuff. Yeah. That's quite cool in a way. Yeah. I do wish, like, it wasn't in predatory relationships, but... For sure? No? Yeah. 
I don't know. Yeah, that's complicated. No, no, but it's a tricky one. Yeah, not yeah. yeah, not on her. But no, never her fault. Yeah, and she was also a big advocate for LGBTQ people, and she was just constantly trying to help other people out and putting them before herself. Yes, and she was friends with so many people, and she helped a lot of actors and directors. And writers get their first gigs. So now that we just talked about how much we love and miss Natalie, we just want to do some more positive stuff. So we thought it would be fun to talk about our top five favorite costumes she wore in her films because she always had such great styles and like always looked so amazing. For me, it was really hard to just pick five. Can I say... I did put mine in order. I couldn't order them. <laughs> mine are just my top five. Yeah, I don't have an order. Just five I would like. So that's all good. Just okay. in any order we can mention. But yeah, they, I think most of mine are Edith Head designed. Yes. Did you want to start then? Yeah. So I'm going to go with the most, it's kind of the most basic out of my five. Okay. But it's also one of the most iconic. And that's Maria's dress in West Side Story. Nice. Uh, the white dress with the red red belt. Yeah. Uh, it's white, very pure, virginial, like how Maria is. So I think that's when that's an example of when they've got the costume perfect. With the yeah. hint of red as well, a bit of danger with Tony. Yeah, I just really like it. And it just sticks out. You just remember it in your memory. Yeah. That was, yeah, that's actually one of mine too. <laughs> Tell me, tell me why tell me why yeah no I think it just fits her really well and I love with the scene in the gym where they're all dancing and we got like the purples and the reds and then like the beiges and the yellows and yeah she just stands out no matter where the camera is you see her even if she's not really like doing anything <laughs> yeah but I just think it looks really good on her Can't go wrong. and I love that like the neckline. Yeah. It's not like a sweetheart neckline. It's or... kind of milk maidy in a way. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I'm not too I'm not too good with the fashion. Tips. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so yeah, that was one of mine as well. Do you want to mention another one of yours? Uh sure. If I'll this try is one to... of mine, that'd be so funny. Yeah. <laughs> we just have the same line. <laughs> I'll go with the yellow dress that she wears at the end of Sex and the Single Girl. Nice. Where it's, it has shawl like cape thing and that attaches to the front and then goes back. Such a um, she looks really good in yellow, but I feel like she didn't wear it that much. No, yellow's an odd color because I feel like it kind of has become more prevalent nowadays with like mustard yellow and stuff like that. You're right. It re- yeah, that color suits her. Yeah, because she's it's got all like the dark hair and then she's a bit tan in that film as well. So it really just makes her pop. Nice. Um, and I like that it just like matches the taxi as well. It's just fun. <laughs> oh no, I've never put that together. Yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but no, never doubt Edith Head. Everything nope. has a reason. I guess yeah, because she was the only one that rode in a yellow taxi. The other ones are different colors. Maybe oh, it was I on like purpose. That connection. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna join you in Sex of the Single Girl because I've got a favorite outfit from that which is the white dress she wears. And it's, I 
can't tell you really the scene, but it's like quite tight, satiny, and she's got the gloves with it. And I just think she looks amazing. And I just think that film is probably the best of her clothes. Yeah. Another one I had was in Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. This is one thing I will give it. <laughs> is I think it's the scene where they're eating at the restaurant and it's near the beginning and she has the sort of cream colored turtleneck with the corduroy skirt. Yes. That like buttons yeah. up the side. Oh, it's perfect. Yeah. That yeah. The whole style in that film is so realistic to them as characters as well. The characters, even though I don't like a lot of the outfits in there, they do really fit. Because Bob is uh, <laughs> my enemy. He always wears like these body and like cheap looking clothes, I feel. Yeah. And just definitely reflects his personality. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> Did you have one from this I did. film? I did. Yes, okay. I did. Nice. So, yeah, it was so tricky because obviously I like Alice's outfits more. But I really, really love the look where they're smoking the weed and then they... The weed. <laughs> the weed. The, yeah, capital T. <laughs> Tell her I don't do it. But um, it's the purple ruffled shirt. Triggered oh, by ruffled shirts. Yeah. Like the brown leather waistcoat. I just love it. Maybe yeah. it's because I like the scene. I thought the scene was quite funny. But I thought it was a classic outfit. Can't go wrong. I would wear that. I yeah. But yeah, I agree with you. The only good thing about this film was the styling. Pretty much, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> My last two are both from The Great Race. Nice. The costumes in that are like a visual feast. I like the, I think it's like Chaps. The one she wears when her car has broken down yes, and she's okay. got like the cowboy hat and it looks like a dress but it's actually pants with the this fabric out on the side so when she walks you can see the pants i'm gonna go with my great race and i cocked okay. out a little bit okay i just put all her parasol looks oh yes just the umbrella was everything for me yeah. i liked her wedding dress as well in it and then there's a dress that's kind of my fair lady-ish black and white and this, yeah. once again it's like completely molded to her figure i need a natalie wood costume exhibit i'm surprised <laughs> they haven't done anything like either's heads either like yeah because she was so influential and i feel like a lot of people don't even know who she is yeah no so. no one ever cares about the about the clothes I was going to say, what's the name? Fashion designer, I guess. No. Yeah, like, the costume you know designer. Yeah. I think I only knew of Edith Head because in film studies, we did a lot of Hitchcock films to analyse and we were analysing in Vertigo and then I had this whole like PowerPoint about the costumes because they're so integral to the part and that's what Edith Head did. She did the costumes for it. I think she just really understood how to, one, make the actor look really good, male or female, yeah, and just fit the character and the story even. Yes. Yeah. I think she really understood clothes. And she got it. That's why yeah. she was probably hired by literally everyone. <laughs> she was booked. <laughs> yeah, she even did some of our favorite Elvis movie costumes as well. So. Hey, yes, she's perfect. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're number one from the great race I'm yeah it's the pink 
parasol like corset <gasps> kind of yeah look, look at that the tall oh yeah everything. i think everything. It's, look, look how beautiful she looks she looks so good i it makes Amazing. me so sad that this was such a depressing time for her yeah yeah what's your number one so my number one I have gone for, because actually I was thinking this, so I said they're not right, but I actually think this might be my favourite, because it's just so simple. It's her introductory dress in this property is condemned, because it's like red, yeah. like red pinky colour. I just love it. I just think she looks great in it. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but it makes her chest look amazing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not I, wrong. I, I've got to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> she looks amazing. She looks <laughs> It's just that's what Alva would wear. And I bet this red party dress she has is like her most prized possession. I could like I bet you she only wears it in special occasions and stuff. And to get that yeah. from just like her wearing it in one scene, I think that really just shows how good the fashion design is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, love it. I really like it. She was a style icon. Like every film you could pick an outfit from each one. Even her younger people- stuff, I feel like she always had those really cute little dresses and, and or even yeah. like the long coats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But definitely sixties, I think. I was gonna say, was, interestingly, yeah. they're all sixties. Yeah, that's got to show something. I'm not big on fifties fashions, and I think yes. it was before she started working with Edith, so it's still very like <sighs> cliche or just like a sweater and a skirt. I don't mean to objectify her or anything, but she was technically a teenager in the 50s so I don't want to be like wow her like she looked because that just makes me feel weird but I just no. like she really grew into yeah herself and like she had more self-confidence and I think that also yes. really sells a look yes 100% should we do fan casting oh my god ah, okay I'm excited <laughs> oh my I'm god. so nervous I have zero confidence in these I know I say that every time, but I think this may be my worst. <laughs> when I saw the list of names, I was initially worried. There's only one that's really bad. I've put in caps locks. Bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wonder who it will be. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so excited. Let's okay. start off with the worst one. Let's start off with Wagner, because we don't want to talk about him at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you want to start? Yeah, I got Sebastian Stan. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I-, I like that actually. Yeah, maybe he's a bit too pretty for him, but yeah. <laughs> that. You know what's actually kind of funny is like he, Robert Wagner was supposed to be a major heartthrob, and I'm just like, nah. Where yeah. are you getting that from? Yeah. <laughs> Who have you asked? Yeah. <laughs> Who says this? <laughs> This is not like similar at all, but he really transformed for that Pam and Tommy yes. show. So yeah. I could see him like doing that Changing old Hollywood kind of. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I cast someone I don't like. Gama. <laughs> but it's perfect because then I would still dislike Wagner. I went with James Franco because I knew you were gonna say Franco. Yeah. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> they had that like really creepy smile that just is so disconcerting to me who should we do next should we do edith head do edith okay 
have you seen Fleabag? No, but I'm familiar yeah. with it. Yeah. So I've got, so as well as that, Edith Head has a very familiar, she's like Edna Moe, didn't she? Like, mm-hmm. with yeah, the bob and Edna stuff. was based off of her. So I did not know that. That's very cool. That's <laughs> very, very cool. I've gone for, so in Fleabag, in season two, I've not actually seen it. This is all from the memes. Um, okay. But so the woman who plays her sister, she gets like a bad haircut. So it's Sean Clifford is her the actress's name, but just because she has the haircut. <laughs> Let me look her up. Wait, she actually looks kind of good though. I like that one a lot though. They actually do look similar. It's a bit weird, isn't it? A bit yeah. I'm not like super confident in mine, but I went with Jamie Lee Curtis. I love um, it. Love okay. It. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. What? Should we do Warren B? Sure. <laughs> can i say as well though so when i do this I, I try to look and see if they have kids that could play them or look like them but i don't i could see if it's a warm beauty but i've gone for another nepo baby okay which is why it's bad because he obviously looks so much like his dad so it defeats the point but i'm oh this is so bad i don't want to say it right oh. <laughs> it's it's scott eastwood Oh, okay. I'm, he looks like I'm Clint. Like, he looks like too his dad. Familiar. Oh, Scott Eastwood is a beautiful man. Oh, he's in a Taylor oh Swift he was in that Taylor Swift video, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think that could work. He looks like Chris Evans to me. See, to me, Scott is the better looking Chris Evans. Yeah, no, I don't actually find Chris Evans that attractive. It, Sorry. You can take that, but yeah. It's just so tricky because Warren Beatty's got such a face yeah i think his scott's face is not wide enough <laughs> See, i think warren b has got a long face oh it's too good <laughs> who, who have you got so i went with the one i have to mention every time austin butler don't hate it i do <laughs> not hate that i <laughs> i was like i yeah. have to put him in somewhere and then i think it could work yeah I love. I still yeah. hate it. Like I like it. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Austin Butler could do Splendor in the Grass. Warren Beatty yeah. could not do Elvis. No, never. Could not do Aliens in the Attic. <laughs> Imagine like like Splendor era Warren Beatty in Aliens in the Attic. <laughs> actually, I just want to see that. Yeah, actually, you know what? Yeah, <laughs> but it wouldn't be as good. <laughs> So next we have Lana Wood, who is Natalie's younger sister. So I didn't know anything about Lana. I didn't even know what she looked like. So when I Googled <laughs> her and I saw that one girl look, oh, beautiful. But I've gone for a basic one okay. and it's her namesake. Gone for Lana Del Rey. <laughs> That's who I said. <laughs> it's not basic. It's not basic. Love it for us. It's actually insane how like we're on the same wavelength. It is. They look similar, though. Yeah, no, they do. They yeah. really do. Yeah. Lana has that whole 60s vibe down. Yeah. Like the Jackie Kennedy vibe, like with National Anthem. But yeah, I just get that same vibe of Lana Wood. Yeah. How many years younger was she than Natalie? Eight. It's quite a big gap. And it was just those, was it just those two? They also had an older sister named Olga, who was, I think, 10 years older than Natalie. 
They were close throughout her life, but they weren't as close because 10 years is really big. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe Alana. I love it. (laughs) I think younger, though, she looks a lot different now. I don't know if she, like, got work done or something, but. No, I'm thinking, yay, it's got to be the video games era, Lana. Yeah. What, oh, born this way, Albert. No, not born this way. <laughs> born to rot. Born to, born die. to die. Yeah. yeah. Born to die. <laughs> said born to run, which is literally spring scene. <laughs> I think that's also the name of a Disney Channel movie. Born to born this way. Oh, born to run. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you went straight to Disney movie. Yeah. That's my brain. Has she acted in anything? I don't think so. Okay. Do no. you think she'd be good at it? Uh, I don't know how to answer that. No? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think she would. Okay. I can imagine her not being a good actress. Oh, God, I'm yeah. so sorry. I love Lana Del Rey. <laughs> no. Stick <laughs> to the, the music. Yeah. We have two dudes. Did, yeah. Which one should we do first? Should you do Tony Curtis? Sure. I, I like my Redford one. I don't like my Tony Curtis one. No, this was so <laughs> difficult. It was Tony Curtis. Oh my God. Now, he was also someone I tried to look at. Oh, wait. Because, like, Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> In a wig. Yeah. But no, I, don't, I, I couldn't see any sun. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> no. But then I completely forgot because we haven't done one of these in a while, in a way, because we didn't do it for Elvis. I had to include my boy. Mm. So I went. But as Tony is my 60s boy, and I've gone for my 2020s boy, Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> also, they have the same initials. So coincidence? Hmm. <laughs> They're both TC. That's That's where the similarities stop. The initials. And they're both from New York. (laughs) Oh, God. But imagine doing that, like, Tony Curtis voice. If they did, like, heavy prosthetics. Yes. (laughs) To just change Um, the Yeah, change his entire (laughs) (laughs) Tony Curtis has, like, life in his cheeks and a twinkle Uh in his eye. Although Timothy has that twinkle... He does look very sullen, <laughs> like a Victorian orphan. Which, he no. does, yeah. Tony does not. He's, no. No, he does not look like that. <laughs> well, but don't worry. Whoever you've got is not as bad as that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> when you do the poll, right? I just thought you should say which is worse. <laughs> yeah, which is worse. <laughs> I love that you still put Timmy in there anyway. Stop it. You would appreciate that. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> you got. I'm so intrigued. So this is literally based off of me, like having seen one of his movies. I don't even really know what he's like as an actor, but <laughs> so great start. When I watched Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, I thought like young Harvey Keitel could maybe do it. Okay. <laughs> You can't judge me, okay? Yes. No. no, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. No, 
he's a great actor he could transform himself right <laughs> yeah plus he has a new york accent so that already yes. bumps him up that, did they ever met probably not oh young harvey cocktail was so gorgeous he kind of was i was not expecting that uh, no i only know him as because like he's in the advert oh no they've never met they have anyway oh no i think they're in a what hang on there wait they're in a movie together i think they might be in houdini the biopic story what that can't be, that can't be. <laughs> no i think they might have played the same character as in they might have both played houdini oh uh, okay in like different movies yeah. tony played it in a 1953 film and Harvey Keitel also played Houdini and Guy Pierce. Oh, three actors, but don't I would never put together. No, me neither. Especially and not for like, Houdini. <laughs> we're never gonna have another like Tony Curtis again. Yeah, so he much. had a very unique brand. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've actually seen a lot of his movies despite not really liking him but i think it's because yeah. he always was in movies with people i like so yeah his castmates are just insane yes everyone i stand right yeah and yeah. he always got to be, have a romance with like yeah. my favorite actresses so i'm just like dang it no i'm just so jealous <laughs> like, yeah i don't know who i want to be though in- <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> yeah i'm like dang this man was in movies with natalie sharon marilyn yeah Jeez. <laughs> That's insane. Should we go to Robert Redford? Yeah, should we do Robert Redford? Do you want to go first with this one? Sure. So this was also tricky for me, so I was racking my brain and I remembered the guy who plays the younger version of him in sneakers, like looks and sounds so much like him. So I was like, I'm gonna go with that guy. I love that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't remember we his can't... name. No, neither can I. I can pitch, pitch him clear as day. Yeah. But I, no, does he? Is he credited? I think so. I've got him. You I've found got him. it. Okay. Yeah. So he's down as college A's bishop Gary Hirschberger. Oh my God, he's in Twin Peaks. Wait. What? <laughs> oh, he's Mike in Twin Peaks. It makes so much sense. Oh, there yeah. I see. I was reading it as like a bishop, bishop, not like his name. (laughs) (laughs) That was brilliant. Thanks, sneakers. (laughs) Always helps us out. Yes. (laughs) What about you? So I've gone, he's an it boy at the moment. He's been in, he was in Weather Cruel Dad thing, which I didn't watch, but he's also in the new Triangle of Sadness and his name is Harris Dickinson. Okay, let me... This rings the zero bells. No, I think he's literally, he's just coming up, but I think this is his moment. Oh, and he's just got the blonde hair. It's just... Yeah, I can see that. Charm. Yeah. And he gets, uh, yeah, thank you. Oh, he's in 17 films. Whoa. I've not seen any of them. Oh. No. <laughs> Bless him. But no, he's, I think he's going to be big. Okay. He'll break out brother. playing Robert Redford. <laughs> exactly. This will be his role. <laughs> Perfect. Which still confuses me as well. Is he can get help from Redford. True. Because he's, he's still alive. <laughs> oh my god. 
Same with the guy, whoever plays Warren Beatty. Gets to talk to him. Would you want them to talk to him now? No, his influence. Too much influence. You get him. Oh, no, I was going to say, oh, no, sorry. I was going to say get him and James Franco in the room together and just lock the door. But I realised that James Franco is (laughs) Also, they would, like, conspire to do something really bad, so. (laughs) No. (laughs) And then Austin and Bella would be like, hey, guys, let's. Let's not. <laughs> such a, he's such a peaceful man. So, Natalie? The big one. Here's our girl. Yeah. Oh, I've got two. Because one's okay. a young version. When I was watching The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, little Natalie was so cute. And but she made me think of young Anna Paquin. Oh, okay. Just, literally just from her role in the piano. But, um, <laughs> they just look they're so cute. They walk into her cheeks. They're very yeah. cute. Um, just the same like vibe from both of them and then for just Natalie I saw a picture of this actress on Twitter which I'll tell you where it's from so it's Lily Collins at the Time 100 Next Gala okay she's wearing like a red dress also I was just looking up Anna in the piano and she does look a lot like her right yeah I don't think Anna now though looks like Natalie is no so Lily Collins, time 100? I don't, yes, next gala. Next. I don't really look alike. Oh. I just, it's just the vibe. They both have the, the big eyes. Like, I think if they styled her, I could definitely see it. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously everyone wanted Lily Collins to play Audrey Hepburn. Oh, yeah. If that's gone to Rooney Mara, which I actually yeah. think. I think nice. Rooney's better. Same. Yeah. She has that, like, porcelain quality i yes. don't really get that from lily no totally agree yeah so who have you got okay. so i actually followed in your footsteps and i looked for like her kids and i think her daughter natasha who actually is an actor i oh. think she could do it okay i'm just gonna go she doesn't look a lot like natalie but uh, I think she looks enough like her. Plus, she was her mom, so <gasps> yeah, kinda, no, she actually yeah. she does. Yeah, it's the face, it's the nose. She has a very prominent nose as well. Yeah, it goes up. Yeah, it's like oh, the same yeah. exact nose. Yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I did mean to ask you, since you are such a big David Lynch fan, have you seen Lost Highway? Because I oh no, I've not. I've really bad. Okay, because Natasha was in that. Oh. Like so. a main role, or yeah, I think so. I, mean, I didn't know she was an actress. I think she mostly was in the '90s. I don't think she does as much anymore. Oh, uh, I didn't do my the separation thing. Oh yeah. Oh my, I forgot about that. Okay, yes. So you're six degrees of separation from Elvis to Natalie. Cool. So this is a little bit of a cop out because. It was on the IMDb of one of Natalie's films, on the trivia. I was like, that's so perfect. <laughs> uh, so just make sure I get it right. Actor by the name of Gary Lockwood was in Splendor in the Grass with Natalie. And he was in Wild in the Country with Elvis. <laughs> I don't remember that perfect. film, but... <laughs> I have no idea who this man is. That was is. literally the trivia on Splendor. Oh, I actually remember him. He was Lisa Splendor. He was like the guy that was trying to date 
Dini after she and Bud broke up. Oh, him. Yes. And in Wild in the Country, though. I think I remember who he played, though. Oh, who'd you think? I think he was the the bully guy who, like, had the heart issues. <laughs> the heart issues? <laughs> the guy that Elvis almost killed because he had the, <laughs> the heart attack. I know it now, but yeah, like I don't think I should have this one, like because yeah. I did. I also thought of some if that helps. Yes, yeah, quick rapid okay. fire. I will. Okay, they both were in movies with Carolyn Jones, who was the girlfriend in King Creole. Nice with Natalie. In. She was in Marjorie Morningstar. She like played her best friend. Oh, wicked. And then, oh, no, there's another one. Dang it. I, th- I thought of another. Oh, oh, oh my God. Barbara Stanwyck. <laughs> well done. Yes, of course. How do we forget Stanny? Oh. I know. But I like that you went more obscure this time, even though Thank you didn't you even remember it. him. And- <laughs> <laughs> don't remember him either no <laughs> but he at least wasn't like a background character he actually had a name in both of the films so exactly yeah it I was think important enough to be mentioned yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> i fear for you though this next one will be very interesting what is it not oh. with john garfield and john garfield yeah that yeah that's a bit to sit on I'll do some thinking. Nice. (laughs) Thanks for listening. We had a really fun time recording this episode, and we hope you guys enjoy it as well and learn something new. And definitely make sure to check out some of Natalie's films. We'll be talking about John Garfield next week, so stay tuned. Make sure to follow me on Instagram at flick.loving.chick where I'll be posting lots of polls and games on my stories about this episode. And follow Louise as well at 1001 Films a Day. We hope you guys have a great day, and we'll see you next week. This episode was co-hosted and edited by me, Audrey Cornell, and co-hosted by Louise Coleman. The music was written by Nia D'Amelio. Gone But Not Forgotten is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and podcasts, visit us at thetridentnetwork.com.